Welcome. We trust you will be encouraged by this message from Mahesh and Bonnie Chavda by Chavda Ministries International. Real love, real people, real power. We talked about our brother Aaron Baxter and uh, one of his favorite translations of the Bible. And he had many. And I, I just, when I was that young guy, we were just been married a few months. And we had to basically come to Florida to help co-pastor with Brother Derek this church that has just started. Uh, but Brother Ern had to travel, committed to Europe, all over. He would spend big season. And so for six months, we had to help take care of his house. And basically, I had a full charge of his library, and there were thousands of books. It's for me, who was a book lover, it was like <laughs> going to heaven. Uh, but Moffat was one of the favorite Bibles. But one of the verses that I love is in Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 through 16, which says, Wherever I go, thank God he makes my life a constant pageant of triumph in Christ, diffusing the perfume of his knowledge everywhere by me. I live for God as the fragrance of Christ breathed alike on those who are being saved and on those who are perishing. To the one, a deadly fragrance that makes for death. To the other, a vital fragrance that makes for life. And who is qualified for this career? Anyway, I'm glad. And it's more and more as we go on this adventure in this hour. I bless you and tell you how proud I am each of you who have homed in on the Lord, His presence, and your faith, and say, I'm not going to be separated from the Lord or from my church, my community. And it is the enemy's device to try to be, make us feel alone. God says, you're not alone. You're part, like he told Elisha, or Elijah, I mean, you're not alone. There are thousands of others like you holding on to faith. So don't in for one moment allow any discouragement. The other thing I, I just it happened, you know, has happened those last few days. I, I remember we had a, such a wonderful time honoring uh, some of our ancestors, some of our parents or grandparents who laid down their lives in the Second World War, and uh, especially some who in the European theater uh, on the D-Day landings, and I shared about how the President Franklin Delano Roosevelt spoke to the nation and told them and said, we are all drawing our, we are looking up to the living God and asking and praying today for your blessing on our sons and daughters, on our, those who have landed today. First big landing in Europe where multiple thousands who are willing to lay down their lives. And we pray God's grace. And all of that, I mean, calling on the name of the Lord. And of course, that generation you'll find very much wanted the presence of the Lord. There was no no, too many around giving speeches, poo-pooing the presence of God. And uh, so we come to our era, and, and here was the 77th anniversary of the D-Day landings, and there was not one peep from the White House about honoring the D-Day landings. The, yeah, Bonnie says, what a shame. And it is, to when you look back and, and see those wonderful, wonderful, brave, very brave men. It was so blessed to re have testimonies of several people here. Katie brought some emblems of her great uncle who was uh, in the Pacific Theater 
but who was part of the battle uh, in the Pacific and who gave his life during that battle. And we saw some of his medals. And I mean, it was very moving. And then to think that at our White House, there was not one, one word about honoring the D-Day landing. 77 is a very important number. Anyway, so I'm glad that we are together here, that we do certain things that are, it is wise for us. In the God's eye, and it is the Lord who uh, anoints us to honor what needs to be honored. It's worthy to be honored. Our flag is worthy to be honored. We don't call it anything and uh, treat it haphazardly because it's every military person is taught and realizes how precious and they lay down their lives for what, what it means. So I'm grateful that we can be together and we were able to honor those who have gone before, especially those who laid down their lives for our freedoms that we enjoy today. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Anyway, we have been these, there are certain dates that came that it was appropriate and pleasing to the Lord that we honor those particular days and do what is appropriate for that time frame. But uh, we have been going over uh, step by step the Apostles' Creed so that we could it is important, it was important for multiple millions of Christians around the world. And so we have been going uh, sentence by sentence and looking at it. And I just wanted to say that the whole Apostles' Creed, that is, we have also the Nicene Creed, uh, but we picked the, the Apostles' Creed, uh, the one that we uh, speak out together often and proclaim it. And it is, by the way, you're, as you do these things, and, and sometimes just pray out loud the Psalm 91, or pray out loud what, you know, Psalm 23, and declare its authority, or Psalm 24, uh, let the King of glory come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. And uh, that it's important to clear the air around you. It is a spiritual atmosphere and you are a spiritual person and you walk in that spiritual authority God has given you and walk in victory and enforce that victory wherever you are and bless, be an instrument, let us all be instruments of blessing and strength and victory. So as we talk about the Apostles' Creed, we want to have even a more robust understanding of the Word of God. And uh, it gives us, as we look at it in more in detail, it gives us further clarity as to God's identity. Who is God? And by the way, what is the place of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? And in that context, then, who are you? Who am I? And what is my eternal destiny? Because as, you, as we understand the Apostles' Creed, you learn you have an eternal destiny. You are not just a person going to live here, but you are going to have a lot of fun in the heavenly glory. You're going to be greeted by a company of angels, by Jesus Christ, and all those who have gone on before you. Um, in, in Scripture, throughout uh, the revelation of God and the prophetic scriptures and just the narrative given to us of God's works, there are two principal themes. And the first is the great exodus from Egypt, which is the demonstration in the natural, a foreshadowing of the great redemptive plan of God that through the blood of a lamb a people would be created. A people would be created that would be in communion with the Lord of hosts that would advance into the kingdoms of the nation with the living God in their midst. 
and reestablishing, if you will, his presence and authority as creator and Lord and living God over all the earth. And the second one, which even gets more uh, time, if you will, in uh, throughout the Old Testament scriptures and into the New, is the day of the Lord. Say the day of the Lord. And it's the day of the Lord presented in two, sen- two contexts, two senses. The day of the Lord uh, near and the day of the Lord far. And somehow these two are dwelling together. And I, I appreciate what, you know, Pastor was just saying about casting a future vision for us. But one of the things that we typically uh, do is we think of our future in a place away, out of this earth, completely removed from the real dynamic all around us. And frankly, that is not the redemptive vision of God, not from the beginning all the way through the revelation of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus and then his presence in the earth for 40 days was very specifically the precursor Uh, demonstration of the ultimate reconstitution of all of creation and the ultimate victory over death and the restoration to our place as the human race, as the governors of the earth, as those created in the image of God, seen in the physical resurrection of Jesus' physical body. And throughout scripture, we hear this phrase about the day of the Lord. And so when the creed says, from whence he shall come, from where? Remember last week, he is seated right now on the throne with all authority, all dominion. And the Bible says very clearly, he is reigning and ruling from there in the earth until all of his enemies are put under his feet. And so the day of the Lord is a both now and future event. It is now because Christ lives and reigns and indwells his people by the Spirit in the earth. And obviously, in his immortal body, as a man... He is seated in another dimension as king and lord and executing his authority from there. But there there is this idea that there is a kind of dualism, a separation of these two realms, earth and heaven. But the kingdom of God is not presented that way in scripture. And... um, when, when, the, when the creed says, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead, in some of our old theologies, we, we are consumed with this idea of the fearful judgment of God that is coming. And this is what I want to say and emphasize, reemphasize to our minds today, is that the day of the Lord for the saints is utter vindication. It is a day to be looked forward to in complete celebration and to carry that sense of joy and the consummation of all things and utter deliverance from the power of the enemy, the oppression of the devil and all of that, to carry that with us now as we're looking for the appearing of the Lord. Because as Romans 8 says, when it says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, it is speaking of that day when God shall come as the warrior judge. And in that moment, in that hour, and in the the time after that, the judgment seat of Christ, the glorious thing about the gospel is that we have been given the righteousness of Christ. We have been utterly delivered from all judgment. That's good news. So when we think of, hear of, speak of, read of the day of the Lord, we rejoice. The psalm says the trees of the field will clap their hands because he is coming to judge the earth. All of creation will be reconstituted, a new heaven and a new earth. And the the picture in the New Testament, get this, because especially in Western Protestant uh, evangelical theology, there has been a huge body of theology and teaching and belief and expectation in something called the pre-trib rapture. 
And let me just say, that theology is not from scripture. It was literally invented, created, received by revelation in the 1800s, from 1827 or 1830 into the 1850s, by a small group of people, two or three particular ones, uh, a woman named Margaret MacDonald, a, a preacher named John Darby, and a few others. And it, it's a theory of dispensationalism that sees the prophetic scriptures and the, specifically the day of the Lord in a linear fashion and perverts the visions of Daniel, uh, of Jesus' sayings throughout the Gospel of John, of John's revelation in the revelation of Jesus Christ. And in that theology, there is a fearful, it, it basically makes Christians afraid of this horrible day that's coming. Well, it is true that throughout Scripture, mostly the day of the Lord is a day of darkness and gloom. But if you read what it actually says, it's on God's enemies. And the reason that creation and the people of God celebrate the anticipation of this day, it's because we have been completely vindicated and given the righteousness of Christ. And that becomes one of our principal messages, why the gospel is good news, because every person can have this utter vindication that God is coming. And the other thing is justice, real justice where every injustice will finally be settled. So the day of the Lord is about the vindication of the saints of God, about judgment on God's enemies, kings, nations, those who destroy the earth, oppress his people, hate God. That's a hallelujah. Wouldn't you say that's a hallelujah? And then the complete restoration, the reconstitution of creation by the Holy Spirit, just like we see in Genesis 1 through 3, where the Spirit of God is brooding over creation, bringing tohu wabohu, darkness and chaos, into light and order and beauty and fruitfulness and bounty. And that's what we are anticipating when we say, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. And um, I, I think that... Uh, and one of the other things that I would like to say about it is that, for instance, in 1 Thessalonians, in chapters 4 and 5, is the principal place, there are two verses, where the rapture theology has, has taken, you know, its dynamic. And by the way, in America especially, this has been prevalent back in the old the foundations of a lot of our evangelical preaching, teaching, thinking. And here's the practical reason. The Schofield Bible, which supports that view, the dispensationalism view, the great tribulation and the church being sucked out and, you know, the, the, basically the Jews and the unrighteous left in the earth to suffer, um, that was uh, laid out and presented with all the great charts and everything in the Schofield Bible. And that Bible was the textbook for American seminaries for the first 100 years. So that, that thinking, that theology is deeply ingrained, but here's what you know, is that for us to understand the great prophetic vision and revelation and utter, ultimately the coming of Messiah, the redemptive plan of God and all of that, it, we understand it through our Jewish roots. And the rapture theology is completely disconnected from any of the ancient revelation of God's redemption's redemptive plan through our Jewish roots, the exodus from Egypt, the wandering in the wilderness, and the coming of Messiah as Lord and King to reign in the earth. Say in the earth. In the earth. And so when Paul talks about it, he uses some images. He uses the image of a wedding. Jesus used the image of a wedding. He used, they used the image of a thief coming to break in when you least expect it. Um, they, they used the image of a woman giving birth as the day of the Lord. But for saints, it's in anticipation 
of great glory. So when the book of Hebrews talks about it, or Isaiah, or Zechariah, or Joel, or Malachi, or Micah, or Ezekiel, or Jeremiah, or Daniel, or John, or the gospel writers, they all speak of the consummation of the ages in the day of the Lord. And it says he is coming to judge the living and the dead. So Paul, in his travel into the Roman-occupied world, he spoke of this day in a way that they knew in those days where a Roman warrior, conqueror, king, or emperor would fight great battles, conquering kingdoms and lands, taking his enemies captive, uh, assuming ownership, dominion, if you will, over those regions. And then he would come home to his home city in a great parade called a parousia, bringing all of the images of the spoils of his victory with him. His armies, his conquering army coming with him. And he would come to his home city and the people of the city would go out in a great and glorious parade and surround the conquering king, conquering warrior, as he was coming back with his armies, surrounding, celebrating, and then the whole procession would come back into the city. And what Paul was saying is that when he comes... In a way that only can happen because God is God. He will break all the natural rules. The whole world will see Jesus in his coming. Those who have believed in him and have gone before us, the dead, will be with him in his coming with his angels. And every eye will see him. And those who are still alive in the earth who are in anticipation of that day will be caught up, in other words, going out of the city for a moment, caught up together with him in the clouds, and then the great entrance back into the earth. And then so will be the work of the spirit of a new heavens and a new earth. So that may have put a great and a U-turn on some of your assumptions and thinking about the day of the Lord. But this is why we are anticipating this great day. Because, Romans 8, for those of us who have received the righteousness of Christ through his finished work, there is no condemnation. And we are looking forward to this day of vindication, of judgment on his enemies, and of the complete reconstitution of all of his creation, including our physical bodies, where sin and death and injustice and violence will be forever banished, and everything will be set right. That's why we say with the saints down through the ages, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And in the meantime, he is reigning and ruling by his spirit in us in the earth, in his church in the earth, and seated on that throne in heaven. And so it's both now and future that we celebrate from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. And you just want a picturization of the triumph was to, to talk about when you welcome a hero. Some of you may have remembered watching Ben-Hur and when his adoptive father wins the battle uh, the, that's on, on the ocean. It's, it's a Navy battle, but he wins it. And he invites Ben-Hur to ride with him in the chariot. That's called a triumph. And it was a custom in Rome, came from Rome, that they honored their military leaders. The Caesar was one of them that he would get the same honor, but there would be just out of this world the, the people who would be marching and shouting and glorifying the victory. 
uh, want to recall the scripture that we have been emphasizing somewhat, but getting in our spirit that Psalm 24 is not standing alone. It's part of this wonderful pageantry. It says uh, in uh, verse 7, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors. Now, these are talking about the heavenly glory. And the king of glory, it's not an ordinary king, this is Jesus himself, shall come in. He is now the one who has suffered, who has died on the cross, who has paid the price for the salvation of every person who would call possibly in the future, now or in future would call on the name of the Lord that he has won the victory for them. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. So get the, the triumphant victory air, and that is for you also. Lift up. Let's like Ben Hur was riding with his dad. You are riding with Jesus in triumph. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, lift up your everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? It's a repetition. The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. So the Lord of hosts is one of the titles of Jesus Christ. Jehovah Sabaoth, the captain of armies. And I love hovering around some of these scriptures because they will comfort you, they will strengthen you, they will anoint you, they will give you a sense of mission. So we touched last time and said, this is part of that Apostles' Creed. We talked about uh, that God, he ascended on high and sit on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. And all of this had to happen. It's, it is, of course, theologically correct, but there is a reason, there is a sense in which why this is happening step by step. So he's resurrected. He, of course, he was crucified. He died. He was buried. Third day, he's resurrected. And in Easter, we celebrated that. Then he spends 40 days with his disciples, then we touched last time and said uh, on the thing of what says in the, the Apostles' Creed, he ascended and God himself received him and he had finished his high priestly, even though he, he always will be the high priest. But the duties of offering his shed blood had been completed and therefore now, because this, that assignment is over, he can sit. So usually, like I said, priests have to stand as they do their uh, obligatory uh, duties. But then God says, sit on my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So that's in the word of God. Is there evil? For a brief time, God tolerates it just for his own uh, what's happening. That's part of the will of God. And then evil is there, but then he, he will take care of that in a flicker. Revelations eleven fifteen says, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord. So he is king. Say king. So he's, we are priests and princes in a sense, or kings, because we, we are not at the level of Jesus, but he does Adopt us into his family, and you have the mantle of priest and king. And Revelation 11 says, the Lord will rule in his kingdom, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So that uh, what's revealed as he is prophesied that he will return in his glory, that every nation, tribe, people, will recognize Jesus Christ in his glory as Lord and he is God. So the Lord Jesus Christ is king. He's a merciful savior. He's eternal judge. That also means that as he offers salvation to everybody, but there will be some who refuse. They have a different destiny. That Therefore, that's why we want to live for Christ 
and help others to receive the Lord. Let them live for the Lord. It says in 2 Timothy 4 about his return is promised and is essential that he is, there is going to be a second coming. And in Revelations chapter 1, you'll find it's, it's really fun and interesting as we look at the, the Word of God. Revelations chapter 1 tells us that John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. So he is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. So here you see the scenario. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They're all three involved here. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God. Here is your identity. And his father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It's a, if you want to get into a place of worship, sometimes you don't feel, I don't know whether I feel like worshiping. Just start reading Revelations, and you will imme immediately, I find, I'm praising the Lord in tongues sometimes. Oh, you are awesome. <laughs> Grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, who is to come from the seven spirits before his throne, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth. And man, if he doesn't get you started speaking in tongues, I don't know what will. To him who loved us, say he loves me. And washed us, say he washed me from all my sins in his own blood. And has made me king and priest. Now here is, see, what, pastor, what authority do I have to do this or do that? How can I go and bless this? So, well, here is the authority. The word of God tells you you're a king and a priest. Your identity has changed. You're not, and just like Jesus, by the way, when he came first, he comes as a humble servant to serve humanity, and then the ultimate servanthood is his dying for us for all our sins. But then he is risen, and as he's riding, as he's risen, then he ascends, and he's given the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee bows, Every tongue confesses he is Lord. So it is important, just as Jesus humbles himself, even to the, it says, even to the death of the cross, which is the most humbling thing, then he was exalted. And therefore, it is important for us to make that transition so that we fully honor Jesus. He not only humbled himself, but it is for your sake. Now he is exalted above every name that is named. So, and then he, part of his job description is to release judgment. As he comes down, he has to, he, part of his job description is to judge between, uh, judge the living and the, and the dead. <clears throat> and that's the function that the Father has given to the Son. And it is therefore, it is important in this hour that we realize that you are important uh, and that Jesus' job is to judge not only us, but to judge even the angels, it says in Acts 17. And how we matter, how we live on earth matters, that it is, uh, and that the best way we can live is to have a healthy fear of the Lord. And uh, it says the fear of the Lord is clean and that we put our hope totally in Jesus Christ. And uh, evil, corrupt ones should get a true fear of the Lord and one day they will get the fear of the Lord. But this is, it, it's, uh, we have to have that idea that the coming of the Lord is near.
and that those who have chosen evil ways, that they will come to consciousness. And at every age, we have to uh, really do battle against powers and principalities and against those who will pollute. Way back, I remember when I was in the, just in graduate school, and then I'd been Philly, and been baptized in the Holy Spirit, beginning to start ministry. Uh, the part of the evil that came was 1973. Abortion was recognized. Uh, until then, it it just it went on, but it was not accepted by the public. But 1973, the Supreme Court got in, got involved, but it came got worse and worse. And now you find how the progression is there where little children without the permission of their parents are given shots so they could be transformed and hormone shots to where they would no longer feel like even though they were born boys, they will more and more feel like little girls. And some have done surgery even on these little kids without their parents knowing. And all of this is just from, not from the Word of God. And uh, it is a battle. It's a spiritual battle. And it's taking place all over the United States. This critical race theory and all that. It is amazing that uh, some of the, you might want to find out, uh, you can see that on YouTube now, some of the, the mothers whose children have been captivated by part of this ungodly philosophies of uh, critical race theory, which is really disguised Marxism, communism. And it was quite fascinating to see the mothers. You know, you better not touch a child and you will see a mother at war that you don't want to see. And these, these were mothers who are saying, don't touch my child. Don't touch him. There's propaganda that's all foolishness and helps him hate others, help, hate other races, hate his flag, etc., etc. That uh, these are our values. And so the, the reason I think it's important for us to mention them is the, the teachings of Jesus are clear, who he is, and that as he has fully given himself, that we are to honor him. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and let the king of glory come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. In Revelation chapter 21, it says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Say new heaven. New heaven. And new earth. Mm -hmm. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. So there are the images from the Gospels, from the New Testament. Jesus saying the saying of the apostles about this day of the Lord being as a wedding day. Praise the Lord. And it says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look. God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. And that harkens back to what Jesus said, or what John said about Jesus, that he appeared, the Lamb of God has tabernacled among men. That was the incarnation, the manifestation of Jesus, who had come to take on human nature, to take on human flesh in order that he might continue God's redemptive plan of complete deliverance like the exodus from Egypt and a complete reconstitution, a regathering, a reclaiming of the human race and all of the earth for himself. And it says his dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And when Thessalonians, it says that 
Every eye will see him, will be caught up to meet him in the air. Remember what we saw about the parousia, going out of the city to welcome the conquering king and all his army that's coming with him, the angels, the hosts, the spirits of just men made perfect, the dead that have gone on before us, believing all coming back with the conquering king and then those who are alive caught up with them in the air and then entering into the city to ever be with the Lord. And here it is. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And he was seated on the throne, said, I'm making everything. Say everything. Everything. I am making everything new. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And then the beautiful, you might go and read Revelation 21 again. There's a beautiful uh, description of the new Jerusalem as it's coming as this glorious bride to be the center of the whole earth. And he says at the end, I didn't see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Remember what Thessalonians says, to ever, forever be with the Lord in the earth, in the reconstituted creation, in our immortal bodies, no longer subject to corruption or death. Praise the Lord. And it says the city doesn't need the sun or moon to shine for the glory of God gives it light and the lamb is its lamp. And the nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. That's what Zechariah 14 speaks of, and Malachi speaks of at the end of the age, the great feast of tabernacles in gathering, where the wealth of the nations, the silver and gold, and all the glory will be gathered unto the Lord in his holy city. And on no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. And remember what it says, that there are certain things that will not be allowed into the city. No lying, no uh, abomination, no thievery, no sexual immorality, all of those things forever vanquished. Praise the Lord. There will be no night there. Glory and honor of the nations. That's Haggai 2. And again, Malachi will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen. Revelations is such a, I mean, it goes from glory to glory. Revelations in 22, it says in verse 12, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me. So for all of us, he is assuring you, listen, I'm coming. And he's your elder brother. He loves you. He gave everything for you. So you can trust him completely that he only intends good and blessing for each of us. And it says to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega. One of the things that I've made a note about is it's important important just for your elucidation uh, that uh, you take note of some of these titles in Revelation. Uh, I am the Alpha, say Alpha, Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. So, and everything in between, correct. Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life, may enter through the gates into the city, but outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. I don't know how many in Washington, D.C. may be. I hope that his repentance will come. Lots of hope for them. And I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bright say, come. Let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. 
So the invitation is for us, ongoing, so wonderful of his mercy and love for us. It'll never stop. It continues like a mighty river. And so we, we do bow to the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the King of glory. Hallelujah. So we, you are a blessed people. We are a blessed people. Say, I am a blessed person. Hallelujah. Thank you. And he gave you a title, a new title. And he's a king and a priest. And thank you for all of you. May the transformation come. And even today as we have talked and hovered around the truths of some of the awesome truths, we can keep on hovering, I'll tell you, of the wonderful blessing of Jesus Christ and it's for real, it's for real, as I, as so many nations, they couldn't hide anymore this, this thing that was loosed from Wuhan, that many were, it tried to attack many, it should wake up every nation and tribe and language saying, there is hope and salvation and redemption through only one person, and that's Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He is the King of glory, the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. He has overcome the devil and every accusation against us. He has overcome any negative thing the enemy would have tried to do and give you a future and a hope. All of us, that you have a future with the living God. You have eternity with the living God. The angels one day will welcome you. The Lord, the King of glory himself, will be there to greet you. So it's a great future. It's good for us, therefore, for different occasions to confess the Apostles' Creed as one of the main bastions of strength for you, bastion of faith and belief. Thank you, Lord. So we bow before you, Lord. Thank you that you are the Lord that who has ascended on high. You sit on the right hand of God Almighty and one day you are coming. We are looking forward to that day. Give, Lord, each one your special Holy Spirit anointing that they may be strong and mighty strong in faith, and their children would be mighty. Sons and daughters will strong, will be anointed to be strong in the power of his might. We pray continued blessing and covering for each person here in the name of Jesus. Lord, bring in thousands more who need to have a chance to repent and receive our awesome Lamb of God, the King of glory, as their Savior. We ask, Lord, give us that new revival. Millions more need the opportunity to come to you and confess Jesus in every nation and our nation, Lord. We look to you. We look to you, Lord for mighty, mighty waves of revival. Even today here, speak to people. Those watching us on the web, those present here, Lord, give grace that they may receive you, be able to accept you as Lord and Savior, and give them the opportunity, each of us, if we need to, to get a fresh baptism in the Holy Spirit, with a prayer language, Lord, thank you, thank you. Healing be released, mighty, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. One of the things I want to say is there's someone here who really been diagnosed and given something that kind of is discouraging you or hurting you, the 
God says the bad news is going to be turned around. That you have many more years of serving the King of Glory and renounce discouragement in the Jesus name. This word was not from the Lord. God is giving you a future. God's giving you a great future and a hope in Jesus' name. And others who need to give their lives to Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask our wonderful helpers who help me here, leaders, uh, intercessors, whoever, that's come on up, help me as the people come up. If you need prayer, there are two or three of you that either have been you're battling something or you've been given diagnosis and it bothers you. I want to, I just believe I got the thing that that thing, God's going to turn it around. Bad news is going to turn to good news in Jesus' name. And God wants to give you a baptism of the Holy Spirit. For those who have never prayed in tongues, God wants to zap you today. Come on up as Michael is going to lead us in worship. Thank you, Michael. So guys, they are ready. Come on up. You don't have to struggle. Get, get prayer in the name of Jesus. Man, I would go up anytime if there was anything necessary. Just get your prayer. Come on up. Thank you, Father. Get born again. Get filled with the Holy Spirit. If you need a rebaptize. Or you need to get baptized in water. Just come on up and say, I'm making a decision. I need to get baptized in water. There is also, there's a, someone's, either your, it's your daughter or son who has been attacked uh, with this drug addiction thing. And we're going to send angels today. So come and give, let, let's pray for them too, specifically. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Amen. Bless you, Michael. If you enjoyed this message, to order more great resources by Mahesh and Bonnie Chavda, visit us at chavdaministries.org. For a full catalog of our products, you can call us at 1-800-730-6264. God bless you.